to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake here to provide a solo podcast as Gabby Urrutia is enjoying a well-deserved vacation, little getaway here for Gabby uh, before the start of the season. Again, much deserved. Hopefully he is enjoying his time. Uh, but I wanted to, to hop on and provide a solo podcast because the football season is right around the corner. And that means that ACC Media Days is upon us. I am recording this podcast mid-afternoon on Sunday. I'm heading up to Charlotte, North Carolina for ACC Media Days on Monday. And then Tuesday uh, will be the first day when players and coaches meet with the media. And that is the day that Miami will be going through the paces. Uh, ACC Media Days essentially runs Tuesday through Thursday. So it's now a three-day event uh, now that the conference is divisionless. So they go four teams, including Miami, on Tuesday. Then they go five teams Wednesday, five teams Thursday. Miami will be represented by head coach Mario Cristobal, of course, and three players. That includes quarterback Tyler Van Dyke, offensive lineman Matt Lee, uh, the transfer from UCF, and defensive back Cameron Kitchens. And I'll be honest, this is exactly who I would have picked to represent the program on this type of stage. I think it's a strong indication that, number one, it's three of the better players uh, in terms of performance on the field. And also, I think it is a good sign that those three players are also considered leaders, somewhat vocal leaders, um, especially Matt Lee, who is a newcomer to the program. We've highlighted on this podcast many times how he we feel like he's going to be a, a significant difference maker, not only with his ability on the field at center, but the leadership and accountability he's going to bring not only to the offensive line, but also to the offense in general. We all know year over year, Miami needs to make significant improvement uh, on that line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball and in general on the offense. And uh, Matt Lee is expected to have an impact there. Um, we can get into the nitty gritty details of of Miami, what to expect here during the course of fall camp. So I don't necessarily want to get in the weeds on position groups, position battles, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's still time for that. Uh, I want to make this kind of, from a Miami perspective, a big picture uh, discussion and share a few talking points that I think matter most going into this year. Uh, once I get through that little spiel on Miami, I want to discuss the ACC in general. So I'll provide kind of my view on a uh, preseason all ACC power ranking of each team, and then also provide my own personal all ACC team, first team preseason on offense and defense. And then we'll get out of here. So uh, with Miami. To me, um, what I 
what the biggest question to me is going into this year is what results will the massive overhaul year over year yield? Uh, we all know by now Miami made a ton of Mario Cristobal made a ton of changes, uh, not only at the player personnel level, but also with the coaching staff after that disappointing five and seven showing in 2022, seven new coaches on the staff year over year, including both coordinators. And by our count, 42 newcomers uh, between the signing class and the transfer portal class at the player level, which means that's about half of the 85 scholarship players are going to be brand new year over year, which of course is a massive number, massive percentage. Um, so I think, you know, beyond the results of, uh, beyond changing and improving the results on the field year over year, which clearly needs to happen. This is now year two. There's no longer any year one grace period. I think also the process of getting those results need to improve and show. And I think that happens via improved culture. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator last year, was simply just not a good fit with the players in terms of how he connected uh, and looked to coach each one of those players. And I know for me personally, I am all for uh, coaches that want to coach guys hard. I don't have an issue with that approach at all. I think there's a lot of different ways to coach successfully. That's Josh Gaddis's style, and I think that's fine. But if you do it to the point of losing a team and losing a message to your team, then it becomes detri detrimental. And I think we saw that uh, on the offensive side of the ball, particularly when adversity struck. Um, I would point to the Middle Tennessee State game specifically as, as that point in the season where things went a little bit off the rails on both sides of the ball. But if we're talking about specifically on offense, um, I think that's where things got a little shaky uh, in terms of the players' confidence in Josh Gaddis to put them in the best position to make plays uh, and also Josh Gaddis's confidence in the players to execute what he wanted to do. So we all remember after that game, Miami tried to make some tweaks to its approach uh, in the bye week following that Middle Tennessee State loss. Uh, they did have some uh, improvements against North Carolina in terms of being able to move the ball. Still only scored 24 points in that loss to the Tar Heels, but they did show signs of improvement. The next week they played at Virginia Tech. Again, uh, did a nice job moving the ball. Still didn't score a ton of points, narrowly winning 20 to 14 over a mediocre Virginia Tech team, uh, but still showed signs of being able to move the ball. And then uh, the following week, the Duke game was a tough showing. Uh, there was definitely injuries happening at a lot of different spots on the offensive side of the ball that week, including the injury to Tyler Van Dyke. And then things began to spiral in general. Money can be the root of all evil. 
when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at MidwaySports.com. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at TorresLionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Defensively, I want to see if the coaching changes lead to more consistent execution. There were way too many busts last year, way too many explosive plays allowed, and whatever uh, Coach Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator last year, whatever he was teaching uh, in, in film study or on the practice field, was somehow lost in translation when the lights were on in the games, uh, and that needs to be cleaned up by now uh, defensive coordinator Lance Guidry. In general, I think it's fair to say Miami was outcoached too much last season, and that just can't happen, whether it is a coaching issue in terms of identifying your own talent, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your own personnel, which I think we saw at times last year. I think this coaching staff, or last year's coaching staff, I should say, uh, struggled to identify the strengths and weaknesses until about the first month of the season was over. Uh, and then what happened was injuries kind of unraveled things. Um, or I think it's also fair to say, too, last year's coaching staff uh, – had some head-scratching approaches to a given game. For example, uh, why did it take Miami 
uh, month to understand the best approach on offense. Uh, Miami's offense was a spread personnel. I understand that Mario Cristobal wants to have a big, strong, physical offense that can beat you with power and a run game, which Miami tried to establish during the first month of the season. It just didn't fit their personnel. Uh, And then on defense, you know, I think we saw some head-scratching approaches, particularly against Middle Tennessee State and their air raid attack, just the the way Kevin Steele wanted to defend that offense and the way that really there were no adjustments once it was clear that Miami's defense just didn't really have what it took that week. So, um, again, we all know the coaching changes that have taken place at Miami over the last year. Shannon Dawson on offense. Uh, Number one, yes, he is going to bring a spread offense. Uh, He comes from the air raid coaching tree, and uh, that's exciting in and of itself. But I think internally, everything I hear is uh, the biggest difference he is going to make year over year is the way he connects with the quarterback room in particular. Uh, He's more of an easygoing type of personality and very easy to talk to. Uh, I don't think the players in that room felt that way about Coach Gaddis. One, because of his personality, but also, two, there was that awkward structure of the staff with Gaddis being the offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach, and then Frank Ponce was the quarterback's coach. Gaddis and Ponce also kind of butted heads uh, with their ideas of, of how the offense should be run last year. And I do think the players felt that and noticed that. So coaches got to be on the same page, do a better job of identifying their own talent, and then, of course, get the most out of that given talent. From a player perspective, I hope to see glimpses of a quote-unquote championship DNA start to show. And what do I mean by that? Generally speaking, I think one of the factors that has plagued Miami in the past 15 years or so, and this spans through various different coaching staffs and head coaches, uh, is Miami has kind of morphed into a front-running type of team. Uh, In my opinion, I don't think talent has necessarily been a significant issue for Miami, especially when you compare it to the rest of the ACC. I think in general, it is fair to say year after year after year, Miami has top four to five level talent uh, in the in the ACC. Um, so why does Miami keep struggling to perform up to that talent? So talent is an indication, in my opinion, of potential. Miami has struggled to live up to that potential. And the general book on Miami over the past 15 years from opposing coaches, opposing programs is yes, they are talented. Uh, But if you punch them in the mouth, they will either be slow to respond uh, during the course of a game, or they'll just straight up not respond at all. And if we're being real, this was an issue that showed, in my opinion, 
during the 2022 season. And part of this is due to just a culture change going from the Manny Diaz era, who definitely runs his program in a different way than Mario Cristobal. And I'm not saying either one runs their program in a better way. I think you can run a program multiple different ways, win multiple different ways. Uh, my message here is simply, if you're a player and you signed up to play for Manny Diaz, it's going to be a hard transition to get on board with Mario Cristobal's approach. I do agree with Mario Cristobal's approach. I think that is, I think his approach is what's needed if your goal is to compete for championships. Um, and in general, I think a lot of players struggled with the new way of doing things. Um, and again, if we're being real, I think we saw signs of Miami not being up for the fight in some games. And, and to me, I think if you're watching for this during during the course of the game, I think it shows mostly on the defensive side of the ball uh, where it's all about effort and mentality. I think defense is where you can measure the fight factor of any team. Uh, how much is your defense going to scratch and claw to stay in a game? And, and we all remember last year, Miami allowed 40 plus points to five different opponents. Uh, that's to me, a poor reflection on the competitive nature of a Miami program that should never allow that to happen relative to the competition that they played in those games. Um, maybe one or two 40 point games can happen during the course of a year. If you play a big time offense, five is unacceptable, especially when it was the five that did it to Miami. Um, I'm never going to accuse any team of giving up because football is too hard. Gladiator sport. You don't want to make that accusation unless you are in the huddle or in the locker room. But I will say on the defensive side in particular, Miami to me looked like a team that didn't want to compete in particular in two games against Florida State and Pittsburgh. And that is just simply unacceptable. So to me, going back to these culture change ideas, we talked about the change that needs to happen at the coaching level with their approach and the way they connect with the players um, and get on the same page as a staff. At the player level, um, you know, we mentioned that roughly 50% of the roster, scholarship roster, is going to be new year over year. Between the transfers and the high school players, um, I will say I am encouraged by the amount of these additions that have exhibited a glimpse of having kind of an alpha dog mentality, for lack of a better term. Offensive lineman, Matt Lee. Again, we've discussed him at length. He kind of embodies everything I think Mario Cristobal wants in a player that's in his, his football program. Number one, Matt Lee's talented. He can get it done on the field. Number two, he cares about football. Number three, he brings others along with, the, with him. Uh, trying to help push the program forward in a positive manner. 
So Matt Lee is a big time alpha dog addition at center. Also on the offensive line, Javian Cohen, the, uh, the Alabama edition. He of course was, has come up in that Alabama program, uh, which is all about accountability. And so Javian Cohen gets it from that standpoint, Cam McCormick, the tight end transfer from Oregon. Um, he's a veteran guy. I believe he's going on 26 years old. Um, still will have one more year of eligibility after this year if he wants to use it. But he is a mature guy that is all about accountability, knows Mario Cristobal from the Oregon days. Um, and look, is he going to be a big-time uh, receiving yard number guy? Probably not, but he's going to be on the field a lot because he's going to help bring that physicality to the line of scrimmage with his blocking ability. Jaden Davis, the cornerback transfer from Oklahoma, has a lot of alpha dog personality to him. I think the Maui Noah brothers, freshman Francis, uh, the offensive lineman, and linebacker Francisco have that pro mentality approach uh, to football. Ruben Bain, true freshman, defensive lineman, similar traits. Ray Ray Joseph might already be the hardest working wide receiver on the roster with the extra work he puts in to get on the field early. Mark Fletcher, the freshman running back, uh, very mature guy. Would not be surprised if he emerges as the lead running back at some point during the season. Samson Okunlola, the other five-star signee from the last recruiting class. These are all players, and there's more I'm missing, but there's these are all players that kind of bring that pro mentality, that pro approach to the program. Putting in the work is important to them, and losing is not going to be tolerated. So to wrap all this up, this season to me, of course, it's about improving the results. Because again, this is year two. Uh, you don't get any more grace period from year one. And results is the bottom line. This is a bottom line business. And so the results need to be there. Uh, but I do think it's equally as important for the process of improving those results to show through as well. If Miami does lose some games, which I think is a fair thing to expect, in those losses this year, how competitive are the Hurricanes uh, in those contests? Do they demonstrate the fight that made this program special back in the day? This team is not where it needs to be. From a pure talent and depth standpoint, I do think it's improved year over year. Um, but to get it to that championship level type of talent and depth, I think it's going to take another year or two of talent acquisition. But the culture needs to flip immediately. No more underachieving relative to your talent on the roster. It is time to be a program that is serious about football and everything that comes with it. Uh, when Miami is rolling, when they have been rolling in the past, they are not only the more talented team, uh, they are not only more talented than the majority of the teams they play, they also have that championship DNA to always stay in the fight. Uh, and so to me, that's going to be 
the biggest indicator of this program being on the right trajectory. Because look, I think if we're all being honest, can Miami go out and win 10 games this year? I think that's tough to expect. But can Miami win eight games and be very competitive, stay in the fight for those four games that they lose in the regular season? If hypothetically they do go eight and four, for me, I would be encouraged by that year over year trajectory. And as you start improving the talent to that type of culture, you're going to see the championship results start to roll in. So those are my big picture thoughts on Miami. Again, we'll get into the weeds of uh, the specifics of this Miami Hurricanes team this year in future podcasts, uh, but just wanted to share those kind of big picture general thoughts going into year two of this Mario Cristobal era, where I think Miami needs to improve what these whole, what these massive changes mean for the program, et cetera, et cetera. So let's take a break. And on the other side, I will discuss the preseason all ACC power ranking brought to you by me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we are back. Preseason, all ACC power ranking brought to you by David Lake. So, of course, take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but I figured I would share my preseason power ranking of all the 14 ACC teams. Discuss something about each one of them. And again, this is a power ranking. This kind of takes the schedule factor out of the equation. Um, the way I, I organized this ranking was... I kind of view the ACC this year in three tiers. Tier one, kind of those teams that can legitimately, in my opinion, on paper, play for the ACC championship this year. Tier two, kind of those teams that are pushing maybe for third place in the ACC. And then tier three, those teams that are going to be at the bottom have a long ways to go in terms of having the type of talent and depth to even go bowling, let's put it. So tier one, I know this is a Miami Hurricanes podcast, uh, but I got to keep it real. On paper, if I'm just looking about the roster on paper, to me, Florida State is the most complete team in the ACC going into this season. I rank them number one in the ACC right now. I can't find a noticeable hole on their uh, depth chart in terms of, I think they're pretty solid across the board. Uh, FSU is entering this season with expectations, and that is something they will have to navigate as long. Uh, and I do think they that we will know quickly what they're about after a tough first month of the season. Um, the Seminoles, of course, open with LSU who's likely going to be a top five-ish team in the country. 
and then they play Clemson, the ACC juggernaut, in week four. So we'll know all about you know, whether they are national championship caliber or college football playoff caliber, I should say, after the first month. Uh, but regardless, I think they're going to be in the mix uh, for an ACC championship this year um, when we look at the totality of the whole season. I think the Seminoles have done a great job elevating the program. Mike Norvell gets a lot of credit for that. They made a huge leap last year going from five and seven in 2021 to a 10-win season last year. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily have a ton of elite talent in terms of NFL draft picks and being first, second, or third round picks. They got one or two, but I think the majority of their talent is kind of in those rounds four through round seven range of the NFL draft. And that type of depth of talent will win you a lot of college football games. Jordan Travis returns at quarterback. He has even more weapons to work with this year. Um, and of course, he is a ultra dynamic running threat on his own. They added Keon Coleman at a Michigan State. 6'4", 205 pound wide receiver. Had 700 plus yards last year at Michigan State. They have an athletic tight end now in Jaheim Bell a South Carolina transfer. He fills a need there at tight end that they really didn't have last year. Trey Benson returns this year is kind of the clear cut lead back. Um, and they've also upgraded the offensive line. So they returned Johnny Wilson as well. The mismatch six foot seven wide receiver there on the outside. So on paper, at least I think Florida state is a very intriguing team. I also am interested in Florida State uh, from a case study standpoint in this regard. I know it's probably going to happen eventually. I don't know when, uh, but eventually a team is going to that has built its way primarily through the transfer portal is going to be good enough to compete for a championship. I don't know if Florida State is quite at that level yet. Uh, that championship level type of talent, um, but they're close. So are they going to be the team that breaks through in terms of being able to build a team primarily through the portal and then be good enough to legitimately compete for a championship? Up until this point, you have to do that by stacking elite recruiting classes year after year after year. Um, but that's probably going to shift a little bit here in the future with the transfer portal becoming more and more common. And again, Florida State has done a good job in the portal. And I'm curious what that means in terms of their overall ceiling uh, this year. How elite can they be? So we'll see if they can put it all together. Again, expectations do make things tougher on a team going into the year. Florida State snuck up on some people last year. Uh, that's not going to be the case this year. Number two, I have Clemson. Uh, and again, we talked about Miami needs to demonstrate uh, some championship DNA fight. Uh, when we talk about championship DNA in the ACC, what we are talking about is what Clemson has done over the last six or seven years. Uh, you know, relative to their recent standard, Clemson was down 
last year, but they still won the ACC and still went 11 and three. This Clemson defense is still going to be very salty. Probably the best in the conference might be the best in the country on offense though. There is some questions, but they do bring in coordinator Garrett Riley who comes in from TCU, of course, after coordinating the Horn Frogs attack last year. Uh, and he's going to try and jumpstart some of the passing game consistency that was missing last year. And they have a new quarterback in Cade Klubnik, talented guy, former five-star recruit, uh, got a little taste of what he can do last year at the end of the year. Uh, but we still don't really know what he's all about, but there is talent. Does Clemson have the wide receiver talent uh, to be an elite offense? That's a question they have to answer. They do get FSU at home. And I do think it's worth noting that Clemson is a three-point favorite in that game. So with this new um, divisionless ACC format, Clemson and Florida State, if they do, if they prove to be the two best teams in the conference, uh, they there is a scenario where they will play each other twice, uh, once in the regular season. And then if they are the top two teams at the end of the regular season, they could play again in the ACC championship game, which of course was not the case when they were both in the Atlantic division. So um, whoever wins that first game in the first month of the season, there's still plenty to play for uh, between Florida state and Clemson and the potential for revenge in the ACC championship game can be there. Next, I go to tier two. Uh, and to me, this is where things kind of get interesting. If we're talking about on paper, who the best ACC teams are and, and trying to rank this tier. So I rank this tier with uh, three through 10 teams. Um, and I think it's an interest. I think it's debatable. Whoever you want to put third, um, fourth, fifth, sixth, I think you could put a lot of teams in these spots. For me, I go North Carolina third. They return the best player in the ACC in quarterback Drake May, future top five NFL draft pick. He does, he is working with new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey, who has to replace Phil Longo. Phil Longo went to Wisconsin uh, to coordinate their offense. Lindsay's going to bring a slightly different approach uh, to his offense from Longo. Lindsay has worked a lot uh, under Gus Malzahn. So it might be more of a balanced type of attack. Um, and then defensively, North Carolina is looking to make a, a big step forward uh, from being disastrous in 2022 to average in 2023, particularly on the back end. They'll look to solidify things where Charlton Warren, a um, an assistant who is highly thought of, re will replace Dre Bly as uh, the defensive backs coach. So UNC's defense was really, really bad last year, and they still found a way to go 9-3 and three in the regular season. The big question for them is, can offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey maintain the production on offense uh, from last year? And can the defense take a leap to maybe being average on that side of the ball? If those two things can happen, North Carolina might be able to make a push for that ACC championship game. 
but I will slot them number three in this preseason ranking. Number four uh, might be putting on my Homer orange and green shades here, but I have Miami at number four. We've talked about them already. I put them fourth because I think talent wise, you know, I think you could rank them inside the top three, just purely on talent. But again, uh, talent is an indication of potential. Let's see if they can make the most of that potential here in 2023. They are, in my opinion, a tough team to gauge because of all the changes, both on the coaching staff and on the roster year over year. I think those changes were necessary and needed, uh, but nearly a 50% roster turnover and seven new coaches. It is hard to predict exactly what Miami will be this year, but I do think they will be improved. And I know this is probably going to rub some Miami fans the wrong way, but I think at the end of the year, if Miami is considered the fourth best ACC team, I think we should all take that as a sign of being on the right trajectory. And then 2024 is the time to level up and make that push for winning 10 games in a regular season. So those are my thoughts on Miami. Five, I go Pittsburgh. We all know what Pittsburgh's about under Pat Narduzzi. They will once again have a strong offensive line. Phil Jerkovich transfers in from Boston College at quarterback. Defensive line is going to be totally revamped, kind of a new group there. Um, but you'd be wise to bet on the development and talent identification of defensive line coach Charlie Partridge. Pittsburgh's back seven is once again going to be very good. We talk about how Miami underperforms relative to their talent here in the last 15 years. Pitt is a program, especially under Pat Narduzzi, that generally gets the most out of their talent. So I have them number five, even though there is some question marks there in terms of inexperience. Um, number six, I'm going to NC State. One of those programs that seems to be at their best when they fly under their radar. The reunion of quarterback Brennan Armstrong and offensive coordinator Robert Anai is intriguing to me. Armstrong and Anai were uh, very productive when they were at Virginia in 2021. Armstrong threw for over 4,400 yards and ran for nine touchdowns at quarterback while executing a nice offense at Virginia. On the defensive side, NC State will feature one of the best linebackers in the conference, in my opinion, in Peyton Wilson. Number seven, I go Louisville. Uh, favorite son, Jeff Brom, comes in as head coach. So you know Louisville's going to be throwing the ball around the yard. Uh, they added 25 players via the transfer portal. In general, uh, I don't know what to make of coaches at new programs in their first year, but to me, this is a perfect fit. Uh, Jeff Brom knows Louisville well. Uh, Louisville could end up ranked higher on this list when the schedule is factored in because their schedule is favorable. They avoid Clemson, FSU, and North Carolina in league play this year. So favorable schedule, uh, which could lead to wins. And uh, But again, lots of roster turnover there, new coach, hard to judge. Uh, so I think putting Louisville right in the middle 
is perfectly fair. Wake Forest. Sam Hartman era is over uh, with the talented quarterback transferring to Notre Dame. Quarterback Mitch Griffiths is the next man up in what seems to be kind of a plug-and-play system at Wake Forest. Uh, Coach Dave Clawson has won at least eight games in four of the last six seasons there. Wouldn't, wouldn't bet against him doing it this year either, even though there will be a lot of new starters, particularly on the defensive side. Wide receiver Donovan Green will be one of the better players at that position in the ACC. So Wake Forest, number eight. Syracuse, number nine. Garrett Schrader is a gamer of a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, he has big targets to work with in Aronde Gadsden and Damian Alford. Both are 6'4-plus wide receivers. Defensively, they do have some turnover to deal with uh, with their top one of their top corners, Deuce Chestnut, transferring to LSU, and one of their top safeties, Jihad Carter, transferring to Ohio State. But Syracuse does a sneaky, uh, excellent job, frankly, of developing defensive backs throughout the year. So wouldn't be surprised if their replacements are also uh, pretty good players as well. Number 10, I go Duke. Blue Devils were one of the surprise teams of the ACC last year, winning nine games. I still think they will be pretty good relative to their, their recent standard there. Um, last year, they kind of feasted on an easier schedule. I do like their quarterback, Riley Leonard, but they got to get him more help this year. Uh, he, he definitely carried their offense in a lot of ways, didn't have much help around him. Uh, if that's the case again this year, I think defenses will wise up to that. And they do have one of the best defensive tackles in the ACC, if not the country, in Dwayne Carter. He is a problem in the middle of the line of scrimmage. So now we get to tier three for the 11 through 14 teams in the ACC. Georgia Tech, I go number 11, Brent Key. Uh, they took the interim tag off of him last year after he went four and three as the interim head coach. Um, he's done a lot of work in the transfer portal, bringing in some intriguing skill talent, trying to get more explosive on that side of the ball. Uh, some of the players there he's brought in at quarterback, Haynes King from Texas A&M. At wide receiver, Christian Leary from Alabama. Abdul Jana from Duquesne, a productive uh, FCS level receiver. Brett Seether from Georgia is a tight end with some athleticism to him. And running back Trey Cooley uh, comes in from Louisville. Number 12, Virginia Tech. The Hokies return a solid amount of players this year, but I, I just don't think that is necessarily going to be a good thing. I would have liked to see more roster turnover there, frankly, than to just stay the course, particularly at quarterback where Grant Wells looks like he's going to return as the starter after a shaky 2022 season. Number 13, I go Boston College. I think Jeff Halfley is a good coach, uh, but winning at Boston College is very difficult. Offensive line was a big issue for them last year, primarily due to injuries, um, but that's a bad sign when Boston College struggles on the offensive line because uh, that is a position group for that program that needs to be their identity. Boston College, because of the talent they attract, um, 
or don't attract. They need to be a, a big physical uh, operation up front that can pound you into submission. Uh, one interesting thing for Miami fans with Boston College is Rob Chizinski is now the play caller there. They do play Virginia in September, and that might be their only conference win at the end of the season. And last, number 14, I go Virginia. And Tony Elliott is entering his second year there. Uh, tough year last year, of course, having to navigate a season that was cut short due to a tragic shooting of three UVA players. Before that tragedy, UVA struggled mightily on offense. Defense should be solid again, but I just don't see a path for them uh, where they're not the worst team in the ACC. Just a lot of factors, both on and off the field, that Tony Elliott has to deal with. Um, and so he hopefully will get plenty of time to get things stabilized there. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP. The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661. Those are my ACC power rankings here preseason. Um, so we'll see how it all shakes out at the end of the year. Let's move on now to the All-ACC First Team uh, preseason picks by me on offense and defense. So I'll just run through it quick. Quarterback, Drake May, North Carolina. We all know what he is, certified stud. Running back, Will Shipley, Clemson, ran for nearly 1,200 yards, totaled 15 touchdowns rushing last year. Other running back, I go Trey Benson, Florida State. Ran for 990 yards and nine touchdowns. Didn't really become the lead back till about the second half of the season. He forced a ridiculous 79 missed tackles last year in that somewhat limited time. And uh, for comparison's sake, Miami as a team forced 84 missed tackles as a team 
when rushing the ball. At wide receiver, I go Johnny Wilson at Florida State. Again, six foot seven, 235 mismatch on the outside. He totaled 897 yards and five touchdowns last year for the Seminoles. I go with Florida State's other outside wide receiver as well. Keon Coleman, six foot four, 210 pounds, 798 yards and seven touchdowns at Michigan State last year. Uh, so I do like how Florida State has kind of these big, long catch radius wide receivers for Jordan Travis to throw to. Jordan Travis is a very good college quarterback. Uh, in my opinion, not necessarily a pro quarterback because of his, he doesn't necessarily have that pinpoint accuracy, but if you give him these big catch radius wide receivers, um, that is a help to him. The other wide receiver I go with for, for preseason first team, Jamari Thrash at Louisville totaled, 1,100 yards last year at Georgia State with seven touchdowns. He's now at Louisville. He will likely be the wide receiver one at Louisville in the Jeff Brom system, which means he will be ultra productive. Tight end, Aronde Gadsden out of Syracuse. He had 969 yards last year and six touchdowns as a flex tight end. Offensive line. I go Graham Barton at Duke, future NFL lineman. Allowed 10 pressures and two sacks as their left tackle last year. Christian Mahogany, Boston College. He's coming off an injury. He didn't play last year, but he was a stud in 2021 at right guard, allowing only seven pressures and one sack. Go Matt Lee, Miami, the UCF transfer. Only four pressures and zero sacks last year at UCF. Sorry, four pressures and zero sacks, yeah, uh, at UCF last year. I go Javian Cohen, zero sacks as a two-year starter at Alabama the last two years. And I go Brian Hudson, who is another center, but I'm just taking the five best, what I view as the five best in the ACC this year. He is a center at Louisville. Um, been a good player for them here for a few years. From a Miami perspective, are there guys on the offensive side of the ball that I could see maybe getting into the first team with a really good season at the end of the year? I think it's on the table for for Tyler Van Dyke. It's going to be tough uh, to pass up a guy like Drake May. Um, it would probably have to take some sort of Drake May injury issue for him to take that leap. But I do think Tyler's going to put up big numbers this year. That's mainly what I'm speaking to. I think Tyler's going to have a productive year. I do think Colby Young, the wide receiver, has a legitimate shot to be a first-team All-ACC player. I don't think it's fair to put him there preseason because he hasn't really produced at a high, high level yet, but I think he's going to put up big numbers this year. Uh, tight end Elijah Royo, people inside the program are very excited about him this year. Uh, and offensive lineman Jalen Rivers, I think is another potential first team, all ACC level offensive lineman. Defensive side of the ball. Uh Let's start with the defensive line. Defensive end, Jared Verse, 17 tackles for loss, nine sacks, transfer from Albany. I'd expect him to keep leveling up this year. Defensive tackle, Dwayne Carter from Duke, a stud at affecting the quarterback, 52 quarterback pressures last year. Uh, that's a lot for any defensive lineman for comparison's sake. Last year, Jared Verse had 36 quarterback pressures. Uh, defensive tackle Tyler Davis out of Clemson. 
had 36 pressures last year, 10 and a half tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks, fifth year player. Defensive end, Akeem Mesador. Little bit of a homer pick here, uh, but he did play through a hamstring injury last year. Still finished with 10 and a half tackles and seven sacks. Just a steady good player. Linebacker Jeremiah Trotter, 89 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, two picks last year. He's from Clemson, of course. North Carolina linebacker Cedric Gray led the ACC with 145 tackles. And Peyton Wilson, my other linebacker pick at NC State, looks like an NFL-level linebacker to me, 6'4", 235-ish, had 82 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for loss, one pick. Secondary, Ventral Cypress, the Florida State corner that transferred in from Virginia, six-foot corner, does an excellent job in coverage. Doesn't get tested much because his coverage is so sticky. Uh, didn't allow a touchdown last year and only allowed 179 receiving yards while being targeted 40 times. Nate Wiggins at a Clemson, six foot two, lengthy corner on an upward trajectory, had a solid showing in 2022. I think he's going to take that next step. Aiden White at a NC State, top corner for the Wolfpack, didn't allow a touchdown. Last year, playing over 700 snaps, picked off four passes. Safety, Camp Kitchens, leading tackler from Miami, had six picks as well. Safety, Jalen Phillips, versatile defensive back that can line up as a free safety in the box or at nickel, finished with 74 tackles and one pick last year. Uh, who are some Miami players that could crack this list at the end of the year? Leonard Taylor has the talent to do it. I got to see it. Uh, but he certainly has the talent. Defensive end, Nigel Lee Kelly, has the talent to do it as well. He's kind of, it's too soon to put him on any preseason list now, um, but it wouldn't be surprising at the end of the year if he led Miami in sacks. And then safety, James Williams, has a ton of talent, needs to put it all together. If he does, he could definitely be an impact player for Miami. Special teams. We'll go through this quick. Kicker, Ben Sauls, Pittsburgh, 20-24 last year. Punter, Ben Kiernan, North Carolina, 46.8 yards per punt. Kick return, Will Shipley. He averaged 25 yards per kick last year. He's the running back for Clemson, of course. Putt return, MJ Devonshire, Pittsburgh. Uh, averaged nine yards per punt last year and had a punt returned for a touchdown. So Andres Borgales will also be in the mix here at the end of the year, if he continues to improve. So that wraps it up for this podcast, this solo podcast. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, I'm definitely not talented enough to carry a podcast like this by myself. That's a lot of talking um, for roughly about an hour. Appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, check out the website, insidetheu.com on Tuesday when Miami's going through ACC Media Days. We will be on site providing updates from that event from a Miami perspective. Again, appreciate everyone for listening. Thank you so much to our sponsors. And until next time, take care.